The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Wow, good songs. Thank you so much. Uh, heavy, weighty, right? Hope-filled, gospel. Um, I'm going to share something with you from the start that's going to seem heavy and weighty. Um, but... Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 18. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 27. Um, Okay, here it is. Here's this this article, this weighty article with the title. And actually, just even, even the subject matter this morning, avoiding spiritual delusion really forces us to um, examine ourselves humbly. So here's this article uh, with the title, Is My Christian Life Just a Dream? And Greg Morse wrote this, uh, begins, Peter Kreeft offers this perceptive commentary on Pascal's uh, pensées. We can easily imagine, think of, contemplate, be attracted to the idea of giving our whole selves and lives over to God without actually doing it. And think we have done it because we've imagined it. We all know spiritual fantasy to some degree. Uh, Greg Morse goes on to write. How often we... How often have we mistaken mere thoughts about prayer for praying? Mere remorse over sin for repentance? Mere well wishes toward a neighbor for love? Mere hearing the word for doing it? Mere imagining for obedience? D.A. Carson memorably captures this fantasy when he writes, We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. This spiritual unreality is never safe. Are you currently in a dream? The Pharisees, the disciples, the early churches, and many who await the judgment day have been deceived. Are we? Many of Christ's enemies among the scribes and Pharisees suffered under spiritual delusion. They weren't consciously evil. They assured themselves that they knew God. They, they fasted. They prayed. They tithed all the way down to their spices. They taught and explained. They even crossed seas to make disciples. But in reality, they shut kingdom doors in people's faces. They neglected the weightier matters of the law. They showed a clean exterior, but remained defiled on the inside. They made disciples of hell. And irony of ironies, they killed the Lord of glory, hating him without cause. 
In their delusion, they went on to persecute the church, killing God's people in service to God from their perspective. Jesus warned his disciples of such people, saying, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They thought they served the God of the Old Testament even as they slaughtered his Christ and his sheep. Many who claimed most heartily to know the God of Abraham and to be the leaders of his people lived in such a devious dream. Are we? Disciples, even while they were saved, still suffered from religious dreams. Up until the day of Jesus' arrest, the disciples, having debated which was the greatest along the way, imagined great things of themselves. On that fateful Good Friday, they each, to a man, presumed that they were ready to die for Christ. Despite their master's explicit word to the contrary, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples, they said the same. Peter spoke as the champion of their shared delusion. Here, finally, they found a flaw in their Lord's teaching. Although Jesus told them so, they would not fall away, even if they had to die. They boasted in an imagined maturity. And each would have fallen fully away like Judas had Jesus not kept them. The men who walked with Christ for three years imagined a faithfulness unto death that wasn't real. Do we? Yeah. Heavy. But good. Describing this delusion in in Peter and the disciples, and something that we need to humbly consider as we desire to truly follow Christ by God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, give us humble hearts. Give us eyes to see. Give us a greater conviction and desire to abide in Christ and thus live by your grace. Lord, guard us from this imagined faith. Cause us to have a faith that's active, a faith that that humbly relies upon you, one one that prays, one that meditates on your word, one that does what your word tells us to do. Lord, guard us from compromise and disobedience and lives that are not prioritizing your kingdom above all else. Help us. Help us to not only know the truth, but to gladly do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, our text, John 18, verses 12 to 27. Go ahead and follow along as I read. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard, into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is God's word. Well, what we see in our text is is John weaving this story back and forth between Jesus and Peter, making making a contrast, really, of the two. Jesus being questioned in this illegal, threatening manner, and a servant girl asking in a way that assumed that he wasn't a disciple, made it easy for him to give that answer. Jesus protecting Avoiding a direct question about the disciples and keeping the attention on himself while Peter is too afraid to even identify himself with Christ. The bravery of Jesus, the cowardice of Peter, the declaration earlier, I am, and the denial that says, I am not. There are many things to focus on in this account. But this morning I want to focus, I want to consider the steps of failure that we see in Peter. 
so that we can avoid a similar delusion, a similar type of failure. And it's hard to imagine this in ourselves, and yet it seemed impossible in Peter's mind as well, I'm sure. Uh, Hopefully there's no difference between who we think we are and how we respond in the days ahead. And if we do belong to Jesus, what we see here is that certainly He will be faithful to us. He will be gracious to us. He will keep His promises to us. And by God's grace, we too will be faithful to Him. The only way we will be fruitful in the Christian life is if we abide in Christ. And abiding means that we're not just imagining our Bible reading and prayer and obedience and sacrificial service, but that we're actually doing these things in faith. And this isn't legalism. This is not earning anything, salvation, certainly. It's simply the truth that James teaches us, faith without works is dead. A genuine saving faith will result in a lifestyle of abiding in Christ, a lifestyle of of action and not imagination. And by the grace of God, Peter eventually saw this. We can learn from him. We, We can learn a lot from Peter. But you know what? We pick on Peter a lot. Let's be fair to Peter. Peter's denial we think about, and it really stands out to us, because it's Peter. It's Peter. It's not, it's not Nicodemus, who probably would have slunk in at night because he's fearful of people and what they would think. It's Peter. It's not the rich young ruler who preferred riches to denying himself for the sake of following Christ. It's Peter who denies Christ. And if it could happen to him, it could happen to any of us. So let's give Peter some credit here. Let's point out some of the positives here. Unlike, here's the first positive, unlike all the other disciples, except for you know, the one not named who's writing this gospel, it's John. Unlike all the others who scattered when Jesus was arrested, only he and John actually followed Jesus to the house of the high priest. William Barclay notes that the tremendous thing about Peter was that his failure was a failure that could only have happened to a man of superlative courage. True, Peter failed, but he failed in a situation which none of the other disciples even dared to face. He failed not because he was a coward, but because he was a brave man. So, unlike the rest, Peter was courageous. And we could also say that he obviously loved Jesus. Why else would he follow him into danger? When when common sense would tell you to run to safety, Peter, out of love, actually followed the arresting party, entered the courtyard. Yes, he failed, but love compelled him to go and and to see what would happen to Jesus. Also, 
even though Jesus didn't want him to do this, who's the guy who defended Jesus in front of 200 soldiers and officers of the Jews? Who, who took out his sword and defended Jesus and cut off that ear? Did anyone else act? No, Peter did. So let's give Peter a little credit. The reason his denial is shocking to us is because it's Peter. Because the leader of the disciples, the man of action, the man of passion and love and bravery, he's the one who fell. And again, if it could happen to him, it could happen to any of us. So where did Peter go wrong? What can we see and avoid? Well, first of all, there's, there's overconfidence. In Peter's case, Jesus told him, he warned all of the disciples that they were going to abandon him. And Peter's reaction was a, was a bit arrogant as he basically, he compared himself with the other disciples and said, well, Jesus, they may abandon you, but not me. I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. Not me. Not like, not like the implication. Not like the rest of these wimps. Peter's confidence was, it was based on comparing himself with others. I'm not like them. He didn't say it, but it implies I'm better than them. What you're describing as someone who, Jesus, who's weak and flaky, that may be them, but it's not me. I'm, I'm committed. And we can be confident because of a lot of things, which, in thinking about this, you know, I've said a couple of times recently, I think in the men's groups, and I want to really guard myself, I've said recently, you know, I can't... Everything that the Lord has brought me and my family through, seeing him work, I can't imagine, I, I can't imagine ever falling away. Why do I think that way? And I guess the big distinction to make is, um, is it in comparison to others? Is it overconfidence? Is it thinking too highly of myself and my experiences? Or is it because I really know and trust the Lord? Um, I really do believe that when I say it. I really do think this way. And yet, it's good for me to ask, am I confident in Christ and in what he's done? In what he's promised me? In this joy and certain hope? Or am I confident in myself and, and my endurance and my strength and how I want to be perceived by others? Am I confident in having a, having a right theology concerning the sovereignty of God? Or am I, are you confident in Christ? God's faithfulness in past circumstances, it is very reassuring and important for us to remember as long as the focus stays on, on Him 
and his promises and not us and how we've weathered a storm. And the test for this is probably best seen in our day-to-day lives and, and whether our prayer life is growing or fading, whether we really rely even more and more on the Word of God or if we just think, well, I've read that before, I know it. Whether we feel a great need to be connected to his church or, well, no, I'm okay. I'm okay on my own. The test is probably seen in these day-to-day heart attitudes and actions. Are we confident in Christ and thus abiding in him? Or are we confident in what we know and becoming more self-reliant? If If we're not overconfident as Peter was, then we will, in faith, continue working out our salvation with fear and trembling, being confident of this, that God is the one who is at work in us. How many times do we need to see our heroes fall? Over and over and over again, it's discouraging. It's surprising. They're like Peter. We hold them up in high esteem. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing means nothing. And we get into trouble when we forget this truth. Another warning that we see in Peter is his prayerlessness. Why do we neglect to pray? It's because, well, we're tired. At the end of the day, do we think, you know, if I close my eyes in prayer, I am just going to fall asleep. Well, it's a good way to fall asleep. Or maybe a better response might be, I suppose I should prioritize setting aside a time when I'm not so tired. Or getting into the practice of when I'm when I'm reading God's word, when I'm when I'm hearing from Him to stop along the way and reply in prayer. To have a conversation with God as He's speaking to me in His in His Word, asking Him to to work these truths in my life. Truths that I've read before and may think that are there, but are so critical. Or another reason we may neglect to pray is because, well, we don't want to think about the stress. We'd rather distract our minds with TV or some form of entertainment because it's just too overwhelming. And I, I say this because that's me. <laughs> I, you know, I have to confess... So many of Devin's surgeries, there was a lot of prayer, but there was also a lot of distraction because I didn't want to think about it. So sometimes stress can have um, a crazy effect in us. The best thing we can do is pray, and yet sometimes we just don't want to think about it. But what, what did Jesus do in the garden? Think of that. What did Jesus do in the garden? Did the stress of the cross prevent him from praying? Did his his perfect knowledge 
of the Father's sovereign will prevent him from praying. And this is another error. Thinking of God's sovereignty as a form of fatalism. And that prayer is not the means that God uses to accomplish his will. That it's not having a a great impact on our circumstances. Not only our circumstances, but but our hearts. We should trust God. We should trust in His promises that that He works all things for our good. And knowing this truth is wonderful, but knowing it should not keep us from praying. What does it say to us that the one who perfectly knew God, who had a perfect faith in God, a perfect knowledge and confidence in God, that He anguished in prayer? Sweating like great drops of blood while his disciples fell asleep. A mistake of Peter's, a mistake that that we should avoid is prayerlessness. Paul tells us to have an ongoing mindset of prayer or to pray without ceasing. A third warning we can learn from Peter is that he, well, he's described as following at a distance. Um, Not in John's gospel, but Luke tells us that he followed at a distance. Yes, at least Peter followed while others scattered. But he kept a safe, a safe, safe distance. And this is true of many. James Boyce comments, Many legitimately, truly, honestly do follow Jesus but they follow at a distance because they do not want to become too fanatical or lose touch with the world that surrounds them. Moreover, they think they are safe at a distance, though they are actually in greater danger. When Jesus calls a person to follow him, he calls him to follow in his footsteps, which means right behind me. But these hold back, thinking that the closer they are to Jesus, the greater their danger will be. Actually, although their exposure is greater, the danger is less. For Christ is the victor. He is guaranteed victory. The place to be really safe in the midst of battle is next to him. Lastly, a a fourth warning is found in a contrast that we see in two phrases. In verse 18, Peter, he's warming himself at the fire, and he is described as being with them. And later on in verse 26, they ask, Did I not see you in the garden with him? We see a similar contrast as Jesus protects his own in the garden telling the soldiers to let these men go and declaring, I am. While Peter, when asked if he was a follower of Christ, repeatedly said, I am not. So the question comes back to all of Christ's followers. Are we with him or with his enemies? And yes, we're sent into the world, and we are to live a life with them, 
but it's to be a, a life of light in the midst of darkness because we are with Christ and not huddling in the dark. We're to go and make disciples by declaring who we're with, by loving in a way that that demonstrates who we're with and who's with us. And the only way we can do this is to be with Jesus, to be in fellowship with Him, to be with Him as we study His Word, to be with Him in prayer, to be with His body, the church. And the implication of being with Him is that people will clearly see us as those who are with Him. Jesus has this effect upon us. This is what we read later on concerning Peter and John. Peter and John had their moment had another moment with the same high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, testifying to Jesus. And there's a marvelous difference here in Acts 4 when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That made all the difference in the world. When we're with Jesus, people will see him in us. And they'll see his priorities as our priorities. They'll see his values as our values. They'll see his theology as our theology. His characteristics of of joy and love and holiness and truth as ours. No matter where you're at in your Christian life, this is our calling. Walk with Jesus. Don't be overwhelmed with the circumstance. Don't be overconfident with yourself, in yourself. Abide in Christ. Don't neglect to pray. Jesus didn't. And this is one crucial way for us to be near to Him and depend upon Him. Don't follow at a distance. Be involved with what he's about. We're either with him, near to him, or we're not. And the safest place for us is to be with him, close to him. And Peter's experience also tells us that that past failures don't prevent us from this calling. In other words, it's never too late. Uh, the thief on the cross certainly knew it's never too late. Peter experienced it's never too late. God does his work in you right where you're at in the moment. If you are had a past experience of being ashamed of Jesus, if you stood in the way of sinners, as the first psalm tells us, if you denied him saying, I am not, Peter's story shows us the heart of our gracious Savior with with two accounts around a charcoal fire. One in chapter 18, our text, Peter standing around a fire with Christ's enemies. And then at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, where 
the resurrected Christ prepares breakfast for his disciples and put Peter back to work, giving him the opportunity to give another answer. And I love that that Jesus gave Peter three opportunities, three new opportunities to correct three failures of the past. Three times saying, I am not, is forgiven. As he's given three opportunities to say, I love you, Jesus. Not three times to rub it in, but three gracious opportunities to give the right answer. And then to go and serve in this renewed strength. One that, again, Annas and Caiaphas and the officials saw. I love Peter's story. It's our story. It's our story because we've blown it too. Or we will. (laughs) And Jesus is gracious. And there's no greater hero for us to want to be identified with than him. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned an opportunity for us as a church Gave you a little teaser. Well, uh, I'd like to ask the elders to come on up at this time. We want to share something with you because uh, we want to share a letter with you this morning. And I pray that we as a church will stand with Jesus and be excited about this opportunity and the work that he's doing through little old BCC. 25 years. She loved those Banners, if you didn't see those. 25, you were old enough to rent a car now. Um, and he's really blessed us over the years to be involved with some wonderful missionaries around the world. Here they come. To be involved with wonderful missionaries around the world and, and to, to have a part of the fruit that's being produced in them, the evidence of their work. And we're excited to be a part of this. To be close to Jesus as he uses us to provide what all of these various missionaries that we're blessed to support, what they need to continue sharing the gospel. So, so here's a great need for you to be praying about. Remember that God is sovereign. And so like Jesus, we pray. Pray and consider your part in this investment that's going to have an eternal impact. So let me share this letter written by the elders with you. And um, we'll have it up online as well for you to, to read later. This year marks Bear Creek Church's 25th. Over this quarter decade, we have been gifted by God with many opportunities to contribute to His kingdom and its people. Through teaching, counseling, serving, giving, sending, and going. And now we have another delightful opportunity before us. A tangible, gospel-advancing anniversary gift from us, rather than to us. About eight years ago, we at Bear Creek Church raised money to buy this vehicle. A very valuable tool for international missions a vehicle for Sam and Mildred Machaca. Sam 
ended up selecting this 2007 Isuzu that already had 86,000 miles on it. And even though the Machaca's reach has for two years been greatly limited by COVID, this little truck now has over 225,000 miles on it. And we rejoice in the good news that it, it has ferried to people in remote corners of South Africa and Tanzania and Mozambique and Zimbabwe and Malawi. The vehicle is affectionately known as the Brinkmobile, after the name selected for the Machaka's ministry, Brink Ministries, which takes the gospel to, to the borders or to the brink of the nations, Habakkuk 1.5. Sam has taken excellent care of it, and it has served well in doing exactly that. Now, it seems wise to begin moving toward replacing the truck with son of Brinkmobile, good one, (laughs) covering long distances as they do, it is very important to us that our beloved partners travel in safety. Here's the most important thing to remember when you hear that the vehicle has a quarter million miles on it. These are not interstate five miles. These are a quarter million miles over roads so bad it is likely you have never encountered anything similar. Very hard miles. Uh, Pastor Dale writes that, that he's covered thousands of miles with Sam. He's a careful driver. Even so, many of the roads he has traveled have been very hard on the truck, so I'd suggest we should imagine it has something closer to 350,000 miles on it. As his sole means of support, it seems important that we at BCC step up again to supply a fresh set of wheels. That involves raising tens of thousands of dollars to purchase another vehicle. We are writing to ask you to begin praying about your participation in a fund for this purpose, remembering that we are the Machaca's sole means of regular support please consider a generous donation. Involve your children. Consider creative donations of stock or real property. Consult godly advisors. Remember that our giving is founded on the generosity God has displayed toward us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. At BCC, we are not saddled with the outsized expense of purchasing or operating a big commercial facility of our own. We've always appreciated the freedom this has given us to invest in ministry and in tools such as this, a four-wheeled Machaca ministry-multiplying machine. Let's trust the Lord Let's trust the Lord. Let's expect another in a long line of examples of his provision for Bear Creek Church's 25th year by the grace of God, signed the elders. So there you have it. This letter, again, it's going to be posted on our website, bearcreekchurch.org, along with a link for online giving specific 
for this purpose. And um, we have this great opportunity. We have this great responsibility, calling before us. So let's begin praying about this together. Praying for God's provision for the gospel and all of the fruit that we've seen over the years to continue. So, uh, Pastor Dale, would you lead us in prayer now? Let's pray some more of 2 Corinthians 8 to this end. Dear Heavenly Father, may your grace be evident among the people of Bear Creek Church in this test through our abundance of joy and our relative wealth. May there be an overflowing of wealth of generosity as each gives according to their means or beyond their means and of their own accord begging you for the favor of taking part in this ministry tool for our beloved partners, Sam and Mildred Machaka. Lord, might we first of all give ourselves to you, and then by the will of God, by your will, be those who are able to generously supply this important need. Thank you again for the privilege that is ours to hold the reins for these partners. They're they're sole supporters. Lord, what a joy it has been to be members in your family with them. Now we pray as we go forward that you will provide another very trustworthy, reliable, and comfortable vehicle for them to carry the gospel to more and more people. For your sake and and their safety, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.